Today, we're looking at Exodus 3, verses 11 through 22. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm excited to uh, preach this morning. My name is Joshua Page, and I'm a church planting resident here at Renaissance. Uh, we're partnering with Renaissance in this season as uh, my wife and I are missionaries uh, in the Greenfield neighborhood. Uh, and today, uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Exodus. Uh, we've titled this series, Made Known to uh, Be Made Known. And uh, today... Uh, we're going to be looking at this passage here in Exodus chapter 3. We live in a world where people define anything the way that you want to define it. Uh, we define ourselves in this sort of manner. We often hear phrases like, uh, be whatever you want to be, or uh, discover who you're made to be, or you do you. Uh, this is our family's first summer in Pittsburgh, and prior to us moving here, we had heard from some people that had visited Pittsburgh about Anthrocon. Uh, some locals might call that the uh, furry festival. And uh, as we were planning to come here, I was very curious uh, to experience this firsthand, uh, but we recently saw in the news that it was canceled this summer. And uh, with it being canceled, I'm not sure if that's something that we're missing out on or if we're blessed by it being canceled. Uh, but on that Anthrocon weekend, uh, people can literally define themselves as anything that they want to be. Oftentimes in our culture, people define God in the same sort of manner. Uh, we see things like um, God can be whatever they want God to be to suit their own interests. We hear phrases like, God must be blank, or I like to think of God as blank, or in a time of crisis, someone might say, a loving God would never 
blank. Maybe you're sharing with someone who's going through a hard time and just throw out things flippantly like, oh, well, you know, God is blank. Christians can even make God into whoever they want him to be as well. We see all sorts of memes floating around on social media or on Christian t-shirts or in Christian music that don't match the God of the Bible at all. Last week, uh, Moses came to uh, the burning bush where God is revealing himself to Moses. God says that he heard the people's cry and that he was going to save them. And today in this passage, God defines who he is, and he defines his promises to his people. My goal for you today is, I teach, is to paint a big picture for you of our God. Maybe you're listening in and you're a skeptic to Christianity. My goal for you is to paint a picture of the God of the Bible, according to the Bible. Not the things that other people have told you about God, not the things that you've seen on social media about God, but the way that God defines himself. And as a result of these things, that all who hear will bow their knee in worship of this God. And they will trust his promises because of who he is. Let us now look at the text. Last week, Pastor Rob finished in uh, verse 10. Let us read this. And so God says, uh, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then immediately in verse 11, Moses responds to God. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He says, hey, I spent the last 40 years of my life as a sojourning shepherd. Who am I to go make a demand of the most powerful man on earth, this Pharaoh who considers himself a god. Uh, I love God's response in verse 12. Look at this, he says, but I will be with you. Notice God doesn't answer, oh, well, Moses, you're the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. You've been trained in both Hebrew and Egyptian culture. In fact, God doesn't answer Moses' question at all. He simply says, I will be with you. It's the same thing that God has said to the patriarchs, the forefathers of the Hebrew people, when God called them to do great things. When God called Isaac in a time of famine to stay in the land that he was in, he told him, he said, I will be with you. When God called Jacob to return to the land of his heritage, where his brother was, who was currently his enemy, he says, I will be with you. And this is the same thing that God says to Moses right here. He says, listen, Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. I am with you. It's about me. Now, as we read the whole Bible, this is how God operates. God always uses the youngest and scrawniest of brothers to be the king the tax collectors and the fishermen to be the fathers of his church. God uses this people group who are slaves to conquer the surrounding nations. God uses this sojourning Israelite, 40 years removed, to be the leader of his people. 
because it's not about who they are, but who their God is. And then at the end of verse 12, God says this. He says, this will be a sign for you, Moses, that when the people leave Egypt, they will worship me on this mountain, Mount Sinai, where Moses is there with the burning bush. And surely this would be a motivation for Moses that God would deliver them. Oh, but think about also the encouragement that this would be to Moses later on when he's standing on that very mountain, getting the law from God. And he remembers these words that God had said. And there at the second part of verse 12, God says, and when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This word serve, some of your translations might translate it as worship. But it's actually the exact same word that we see back in chapter 1. It's translated as work. Chapter 1, verse 13, it says, um, after Pharaoh was uh, making the lives of the Israelites difficult, he says, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. And here's what Moses is, God is telling Moses in this passage. He says, hey, I'm going to take the Hebrew people from serving Pharaoh, who was seeking to destroy them, to serving God, who is for them. And then in verse 13, Moses asked God another question. He says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? It's possible in this passage that Moses is thinking back to the last time that he tried to save the Hebrew people. In chapter 2, verse 14, um, when he had stepped in, um, the people answered Moses. They said, who made you prince or a judge over us? Possibly he's thinking back to these things. And in response, God gives Moses his name. In these days, there was an importance on names. They defined you. We learned this previously as we learned Moses received his name because he was drawn out of the water. Or he gave his son Gershom his name because he was a sojourner in a foreign land. And in verse 14, God gives his name to Moses. He says, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God says, I am who I am. Now, I don't know Hebrew, um, but most of your Bibles, there should be a reference at the bottom of your Bible. And here in my Bible, there's a, a small subscript, and it says that I am what I am could also be translated, I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. Another way that this can be said in another translation is, I exist because I exist. God is defining who he is. And this is in an active verb. God is telling Moses, I transcend created things. I transcend the laws of nature. I transcend time and space. I transcend your external definitions of me. I am who I am. 
I am what I am. I will be what I will be. And God is showing his character and his power and his authority. They're very similar things that we see in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. This is what Paul writes. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God is self-existent. God is self-sufficient. God is unchanging in his character. And we, as the created beings, do not get to define God. God defines himself. And so he says to Moses, tell the people that this God has sent you. And then in verse 15, he continues. He says, God says to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. And thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. Again, there's likely a, a reference in the bottom of your Bible here. It says the word Lord, L-O-R-D, when spelled with all capital letters, stands for the divine name Y-H-W-H, which is here connected with the verb to be in verse 14. This capital L-O-R-D, anytime you see it in your Bible, it was what was recorded in the Hebrew Bible as Y-H-W-H. This is the official name of God, often pronounced Yahweh or translated as Jehovah. It's the name form of I am or I will be. God says that this name is to be a memorial to all generations. God says this name will be my reputation and people will see it and they will know who God is. And so we learn from verses 11 through 15 that God is a transcendent God. He is to be honored, to be worshiped. God has established his authority. This is why Moses, at the beginning of chapter three, when he's in the presence of God, he's told to take off his shoes because he's standing on holy ground. This is why Moses, when he returns to Mount Sinai to receive the law, God tells him in some of the laws to have no other God but him. They're forbidden to make images and idols for worship. This is why when the Israelites make a golden calf or they curse God because they're hungry and thirsty, God delivers judgment upon them. These verses also tell us this is not only a transcendent God, but he is also God who is with them. He is the God who guides them with a fire, a cloud. He is the God who resides among them in the tabernacle. 
He is the God that provides bread from heaven and water from a rock. He is the God who punishes them when they dishonor him, but also provides a way back to be restored to him. He is the God that leads them like a gentle shepherd into the promised land. This is our God. So we can say to him both our father in heaven, our daddy, hallowed be your name. And after God defines himself in verses 16 through 22, God defines his promises. God defines his promises. He calls Moses to deliver these promises to the elders of the Hebrew people. These are the very same promises that God had made to the patriarchs, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. In these verses, God promises that the slaves will be rescued. It's the same promise that Abraham, God had made to Abraham in Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14, that the, the slaves would be free and there would be judgment upon the oppressors. God promises that the sojourners would receive a land. It's the same promise that God gave to Joseph in Genesis 50, 50 24, that he would bring them from Egypt into a promised land. And God promises that those who have nothing would have abundant provisions. It's the same promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 15, 14 about possessions. I think this is so cool at the end of verse 22. He says, hey, on your way out, the Egyptians will adorn your children with gifts. Oh, such a big turn from chapter one, when the Egyptians viewed the Hebrew children as worthless. And listen, you, you probably know the end of this story, but let's just say you didn't. And some guy shows up that you haven't seen in 40 years. And he says that this transcendent God came to him and that this God made these promises. Will you trust the promises? Would you trust that God on the authority of his name would do these things? Well, let me just give you a hint of what is to come. God promises rescue. When the people are trapped at the Red Sea and they're surrounded by an army, they doubt. God promises land, but when they send out the 12 spies to check out the land, they see that the land is full of powerful armies, and they doubt. God promises provision, but when they're hungry and thirsty, they doubt. And in Deuteronomy, God calls these people time and time again a stiff-necked, stubborn people. Let me just give you a little spoiler to the story. God still delivers. God still provides. God still brings them into the promised land. Despite their actions, God remains faithful to his promises. Why? Because it's not about who they are, but who he is. And in their weaknesses and in their failings, God is better able to reveal his power and his glory and his generosity and his faithfulness. This is our God. 
Now let's step away from Exodus. Let's turn to the Gospels, the good news about Jesus. Let's apply this lesson to our own lives. In John chapter 8, Jesus is having this conflict with the religious leaders. And in, in the conflict, Jesus makes a reference to Abraham, one of the patriarchs. And the response to him is, Jesus, you're too young to know Abraham. And this is what Jesus says to them in John 8, 58. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus says, I am. The same thing that God called himself in Exodus chapter 3. Jesus is making a statement. He says, hey, you know your God who has always existed, who is unchanging, who defines himself? That's me. And they knew that Jesus was saying this because they picked up stones to kill him. Listen, based on this claim, Jesus is either a lunatic or he is God in the flesh. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord, and he should be worshipped and served. And accepting this is the beginning of salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Do you know what another name that is often given to Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us. He's the king who stepped out of heaven to save us who himself became the sacrifice that restores us to the Father. And just like Moses, Jesus has called his followers to do great things, to build his kingdom here on earth. And the method to do that is through making disciples. Man, this is so cool. In the Great Commission, listen how Jesus starts. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go make disciples. He finishes with this. He says, and surely I am with you always, even until the end of the earth. And just as God made promises to Israel through Moses, under the new covenant, we are now the people of God. And we too have promises. These promises don't come from a messenger, but from Jesus Christ himself. Jesus promises his followers that are suffering in this world that they will be rescued. He said that those who mourn will be comforted. Those who show mercy will be shown mercy. Jesus promises his followers that are sojourning on earth that they will receive land. He said that the meek shall inherit the earth, but the poor in spirit shall receive the kingdom of heaven. He promises his followers who have forsaken the things of this world that they will receive provisions. He says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. 
He says those who are persecuted for pursuing righteousness will receive a great reward in heaven. So what's the application for all these things? Well, you have now heard these promises. And you have heard about our Lord Jesus Christ who gave them. The one who has both the authority to give them, but is also with us to see them through. And I ask you, do you trust these promises? Will you be like the Israelites? When times get hard, you bail out. Persecution comes for following Jesus, you curse God. When God calls you to do something, but challenges arise in what he calls you to do, you turn back to what is easy. And listen, I'm sure there are some who are hearing me today who feel like Moses. Who am I? The past is filled with mistakes. On the daily, you feel that your heart is as stubborn as the Israelites. You feel that you are so unworthy of the God of the universe to love you and to use you for his kingdom purposes. The fact is, it's true. You are unworthy. I am unworthy. But the beauty of these promises is that it is not dependent upon who you are, but who he is. We have been saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourself or of your works. It is a gift of God who desires to reveal to us his rich mercy and his great love so that we will not boast in our own holiness, but we will boast in Christ alone who paid our debt on the cross so that we will not boast in our ability to serve his kingdom but through his spirit working within our weaknesses that he reveals himself as strong. For apart from him, we can do nothing. But when we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. And so as a result of all these things, we go from serving the pretend gods of this world that are destroying us to serving the one true God who is for us, the God who is who he is, the God who is with us. And now I invite you to worship this God with me, to bow your knee to him and declare your trust in his promises, to shout out, oh, praise him, oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Would you sing with me?